Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Do you remember the story of the boss in the box? He got in the box, and the box just went straight through the terminal, straight onto the conveyor belt, and straight into the cargo bay of the private jet. Carlos Ghosn, headman of Renault and Nissan, was under house arrest in Tokyo one day and beside his pool in Beirut the next, via the box. Carlos Ghosn was kind of the Jose Mourinho of the car industry. He was brash, he was very talkative, he was very successful. And then he was very much in trouble. And then Ghosn was gone. How did it all happen? And what's his side of the story? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, Gone Boy, meeting the fugitive CEO. late December last year, the almost unbelievable story broke of how the Brazilian-born Lebanese CEO of two of the world's biggest car manufacturers had escaped from detention in Japan and fled to Lebanon. In a box, certainly, maybe a double base case. OK, um, so, so you're taping now. I'm taping now. Goen had been arrested a year earlier on charges of defrauding the company he ran, Nissan. So John Arledge, an old colleague of mine and a senior business writer for the Sunday Times, recently went to meet him in Beirut to discuss the escape and talk about his new book, in which he argues his innocence of the charges laid against him. What happened to Carlos Ghosn at the end of last year? We all woke up one morning and heard his name. There's a global investigation underway this morning into how a prominent businessman escaped from house arrest in Tokyo. The biggest mystery of the new year is slowly, slowly being revealed. Today we're learning new details on how Carlos Ghosn escaped from his supposedly ironclad detention to end up in his luxury home over in Beirut. A mystery made all the more intriguing. Because of speculation, he smuggled himself out in a box. It was Christmas time, just after Christmas, going to New Year, and this astonishing story came up about Carlos Ghosn landing in Beirut. Now, the last we'd heard of him, he was in prison and then under house arrest in Tokyo, facing some pretty serious charges of financial misconduct to the tune of about 
£80 million, suddenly, just before New Year, he lands at Beirut's Rafik Hariri Airport and there is the most almighty scrum of journalists around the world desperate to try and get on flights to Beirut at a, at a difficult and busy time of year to ask him how on earth he managed to get from house arrest in Tokyo to, to Beirut. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I want to... Uh, Thank you for taking the time to be here, with many of you travelling great distances to join me. What's the story of how he did manage to get out of this prison in Tokyo and into Beirut? He was actually under house arrest when he fled. Even then, I mean, it was pretty restrictive. I was in my house, house arrest, with a camera, people following me, my phone is tapped. I had to go to the lawyers every day. I had to, every time I want to go out from Tokyo, I need to ask for authorization for the judge. Uh, I couldn't talk to my wife. I couldn't talk to my son. His phone was tapped. He had no access to a computer. There were CCTV cameras trained on his door. He couldn't leave the city of Tokyo without a judge's permission. I mean, his life was very, very constrained. And it was pure James Bond. He managed to find a burner, a secret phone. Somehow he won't tell anyone how he got it, but he was able to communicate with some former US Special Forces operatives, people who uh, work in the security industry globally, who specialize in something called exfiltration, which is rescuing people overseas who are in a jam. If anyone's seen Ben Affleck in Argo, they'll know exactly what that job is. Managed to get in touch with a few of these people, and um, they came up with a plan to spirit him away, a stowaway on the private jet. So they got him out of the house without anybody noticing. Firstly, I mean, OK, I get that they're special exfiltrators, but how do you get out of a house which everybody's watching? Gone was allowed to walk various places, one of which was to the Grand Hyatt Hotel, which is pretty near where he lived in the Rapongi district of Tokyo. He used to go there for lunch. And he walked out on the morning of his escape and went to the hotel as normal, but he didn't go to one of the restaurants. He went to a room where he met the people who were going to spirit him away. Like a scene from the classic movie Speed, Gone's exfiltration team guessed that the CCTV trained on his apartment wasn't monitored live, but collected and examined at a later date. So there might be a window of time in which he could make his escape. Nissan had some private detectives who used to follow him around a bit, and there's some suggestion that they didn't bother following him at New Year because they wanted to enjoy New Year. John, there he is, under house arrest in Tokyo, and then he's not anymore. Then he's in Beirut. What do we know about how that happened? We know a lot of detail from sources in Beirut, sources in Tokyo, in Istanbul, and also an interview that his key accomplices, Michael and Peter Taylor, gave to Vanity Fair. It's a long story. I'll try and make it very brief. He met the Taylors in Tokyo. He took, in disguise, a bullet train from Tokyo to Osaka, where he went to a hotel. A black trunk just over a metre high, with two holes drilled in it for breathing. And they put him in a box that was normally used for stage speakers, for rock bands or musicians. According to the Wall Street Journal, it was hiding in this trunk, typically used for concert audio gear, that enabled Carlos Ghosn to sneak out of Japan. The tailors had flown in the day before with this box. 
It's a Kansai airport, which is uh, in Osaka. And they'd chosen that because they knew that very large cargo boxes, like the speaker box, were actually too big to be x-rayed and normally weren't x-rayed. So they were gambling that if they could get Carlos into this box, they'd get him to the private air terminal. It wouldn't be x-rayed. They'd just assume it was the same speaker box that had flown in and Bob's your uncle. And that's exactly what happened. Astonishingly, he got in the box. They arrived uh, deliberately late, giving the security staff very little time to think about things. And the box just went straight through the terminal, straight onto the conveyor belt, and straight into the cargo bay of the private jet. The jet then flew the long way over Russia to Istanbul. Now, they went to Istanbul instead of Beirut because they thought if they did a flight plan from Osaka to Beirut, it would obviously arouse suspicions given Ghosn's connections with Beirut. So they went first to Istanbul, but they had to make sure they didn't fly over any countries that had extradition treaties with Tokyo. So they went the long way round over Russia landed very early in the morning in the dark, deliberately, in Istanbul. There was another private jet waiting for Carlos Ghosn. He walked literally across the tarmac from one to the other, took off and flew about 90 minutes to Beirut. Oh, it's so exciting, really, isn't it? I mean, your heart goes at a higher rate just listening to it. Now, how would we describe the immediate fallout of the escape? I mean, who got criticised and who was pleased? The only thing I can tell you is I felt relief only when I landed in Beirut. Carlos Ghosn was, of course, and his family were somewhat pleased and not to say ecstatic. First thing, we hugged each other so tight. This is Carlos's wife, Carol. He told me, you're my Linus. Because I fought so hard for him. The Japanese were woefully embarrassed, as you might imagine. Nissan, too, who were hoping to uh, see their former CEO and chairman in the dock to answer the uh, financial misconduct charges, were obviously at their noses put royally out of joint. The funny thing was, it sort of became this weird tale of the fugitive. You know, most people kind of weirdly, not knowing him that well, kind of ended up rooting for him because the escape was so epically audacious. I knew I was at risk. Anything would go wrong. The fact that he got away with it, it's a bit like Richard Kimball in the movie The Fugitive. You, You kind of end up kind of really rooting for the guy running away because his chances of success are so small. Now, Let's talk about who Carlos Ghosn is and was and what is such a big deal about him before things went wrong. This is the man who, until 2018, was really a rock star of the business world. Carlos Ghosn was a businessman with a cult-like following, credited with single-handedly turning around the fortunes of several major companies. Carlos Ghosn was kind of the Jose Mourinho of the car industry. He was brash. He was very talkative. He was very successful. He ran Renault and Nissan as an alliance. He's the first person to have run two Fortune 500 companies at the same time. And he was a very, very big player on the world stage. I mean, when he took over Nissan, it was all but bankrupt. He rescued Nissan, did very well with Renault, and was pushing forward into electric vehicles. He he was one of the people that really kind of set the tone of the auto industry. And of course, a big deal in the UK, because Nissan, as everybody knows, has a very big factory up in uh, Sunderland. A car visionary, Carlos Ghosn was born in Brazil and moved to Lebanon with his family when he was six. 
He was educated in Paris and began his career with the tyre manufacturer Michelin before going to work for Renault and Nissan. He's been living in Lebanon since his daring escape, and that's where John went to meet him. I thought he would be pretty traumatised by what he's been through. I mean, he was held initially for 130 days in prison in Tokyo in pretty grim conditions. Obviously, things picked up a bit up under house arrest, but still, as we know from lockdown, staying at home is pretty grim. So I was expecting someone who had a bit of trauma etched in his face. I made a checkup when I arrived in Lebanon. Okay. Uh, fortunately, everything went well. Good. So far, there is no... We didn't see any health consequences of this uh, ordeal. And actually, he seemed very relaxed, very confident. What does he look like and dress like, John? I mean, is he a little man with a kind of expansive personality or a big chap? He's pretty short, but he kind of changes the tone of any room he walks into, changes the atmosphere. He's very commanding to a little bit kind of aggressive, perhaps, but very, very confident. And that makes him a great interview because he tells his story with passion. I really was convinced that there was no way, no way I could got even something that would look like a fair trial. And I had many, many demonstrations of the bad faith of the judges, not only the prosecutor, the judges, and even of the, of the Japanese government. Where did you meet him? We met just up the road from his house. He's got a fantastic house, which ironically actually belongs to Nissan, but uh, he's trying to buy it off them. Uh, good luck with that. But anyway, he's, he's still got the keys. And just up the road from his house is a very, very nice old hotel called the Hotel Albergo. And he likes to go there. It's a quiet spot and it's a good spot to talk. I think perhaps this, uh, now's a good moment to try and recap on what it is that he's actually been charged with uh, and what he says about those charges. What are the Japanese authorities and what were Nissan saying he'd done? Welcome back. Breaking news. In the past few minutes, Nissan has revealed that its chairman has been arrested after allegations of serious misconduct. Nissan accuses Carlos Ghosn of under-reporting his compensation and the personal use of company assets. Nissan it's sort of brain-fryingly complicated, but there are three things. One is they say he understated his pay. There was some retirement deal he was promised that the authorities say he understated the amount of money he was going to get after he retired. He's 66. There's another rather complicated currency deal. Essentially, he tried to protect the value of his Nissan salary that was paid in yen with a, a currency deal that went wrong. They say he tried to shift the losses onto uh, Nissan's books. And there's also an allegation that he diverted some funds to a Nissan dealer in Oman to a company controlled by Carroll that was then used to buy various things, including a yacht. And the total amount of money they say that he was trying to get from Nissan or did get from Nissan by various foul means was about £80 million. Right, which is a considerable amount by anybody's standards, even his standards. Now, what does he say in his defence? It never happened. He says that none of it happened. The deferred retirement payment never happened. That was not paid. Yes. So, so, so I cannot, how, how can I enrich myself if I didn't receive money, number one? And how can I uh, announce something that was not decided? It was never agreed, it was never promised, it was never paid. I mean, he does admit that he had this currency hedging deal that went wrong, but that actually the losses never got transferred onto Nissan's books because the Japanese regulator said there was a conflict of interest, so that never happened. And as to the diversion of funds via this 
Nissan dealer in Oman. He says not a single penny was diverted. What's his explanation of why the company and the Japanese authorities think something happened? I think the, the fundamental reason is they thought that I sided up with the French government uh, to agree on a merger. And they were mad at it because I have always defended I was against the merger from the beginning. His view is that Nissan, and he alleges in cahoots with the Japanese state effectively, moved against him because they thought he was going to give Renault more power in the Renault-Nissan alliance, possibly even a full merger, which he says was too great a threat or blow to Japanese national and corporate pride. And they decided that in order to stop this, they needed to take him out effectively. And the best way to take him out was legally just put him in prison so he couldn't actually do anything. His argument is that they trumped up the case against him in order to stop him doing something that would have been contrary to their rather nationalist view of how Nissan should develop. Correct. Which would be quite a conspiracy if it were true, wouldn't it? Yes, and he's written a book called The Time for the Truth, where he sets out this conspiracy. I mean, it is unbelievably complicated and involves all sorts of people doing all sorts of things that may or may not be true. And so I suspect, <laughs> I suspect that most of us, since Carlos is never going to stand trial, will never really know. But he does have, in fairness to him, quite a lot of evidence, leaked emails and so on, showing that certainly at Nissan there was disquiet about the possibility of a merger with Renault. He'd spent time in prison, you've told us, and then he was under house arrest, but he'd never actually come to trial. What was he anticipating would happen at his trial? He'd been told that his trial would be split into two, just to kind of make it easier for the prosecutors, which meant that it would last for five years, after which he was facing a 15-year sentence if convicted, and he was pretty sure that that would be the likely outcome because... Japan is the only country, I think, where the prosecutors win 99.4% of the case. This is the average. If you look at the Japanese legal system, and this is not disputed, it has a 99% conviction rate for those who appear in court. It's a really extraordinary figure. So he, one of the reasons why he decided that he needed to get out was if his trial lasted for five years, and he were, as he expected, convicted. That's 20 years. He's 66. You don't have to be a mathematical genius to work out that that's not really a great prospect. We'll hear more about Carlos Ghosn and the fallout from his dramatic escape after the break. But to enjoy more remarkable stories like John's interview, published in the Sunday Times magazine, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one month free. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough, Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. John, you've spoken to people in the Japanese business world itself, haven't you? Now, what do they think about Gone and how he was as an operator? They think that he was very successful, but there are some people in Nissan, Westerners mainly, who think that he slightly lost touch with reality, which is one reason why Nissan might have moved. Let me explain. Japanese business culture is not at all flashy. If you think of Mr. Sony, Mr. Nissan himself, uh, Mr. Toyota, Mr. Honda, Mr. Uniqlo, you don't see them doing kind of flashy Richard Branson type things or spending money. It's not really like that. Now, Carlos did have quite the life. He thought nothing of flitting between Rio, Lebanon, Paris and Tokyo, working in a given week on the company jet. He threw pretty nice parties. He had a 50th birthday party for Carol at the uh, Palace of Versailles. And it turned out that Renault was a sponsor of the Palace of Versailles and one of the free room credits that Renault got each year to host events was used for the room hire for this party. So that went down very badly. So I think one of the things that happened was that his style of doing business rankled and was not really in tune with the traditional Japanese ways of doing it. It was just too flashy. And also at the same time as living this life, he was trying to cut costs. His nickname was Le Cost Killer. And I know that uh, at Nissan, senior executives used to buy their own stationery. And of course, as you go and you buy your five pack of Bic Biros to see that Carlos is having lavish parties at Versailles, you can see why things, <laughs> things, things began to rankle a little bit in Tokyo. For his Sunday Times magazine article, John spoke to a Briton called Michael Woodford. Shortly after taking over as CEO of Olympus, one of Japan's biggest companies, Woodford discovered a billion dollar fraud within the company that had been covered up. But the reaction of the Olympus board when he alerted them to it was not what he was expecting. 
they fired him, threw him out of the corporate flat, and he had effectively to flee back to the UK and campaign for change at Olympus from the UK, which he did. And in the end, the senior executives pleaded guilty. But it, it is not necessarily the way that we think of business being done. And certainly some foreign CEOs and senior businessmen and women have found themselves completely on the wrong side of that cultural divide. Was the lesson there, don't come in from the outside and stir things up? I think it probably is because there are particular cultural ways of doing things that have always been that way. And there is also, I think it's fair to say, a national pride in the Japanese way of doing things. And people don't appreciate others, particularly from outside Japan, rocking that boat. Let's go back to Carlos now. What is he doing right now? Well, he's stuck. He's stuck in Lebanon. Not a bad place to be stuck. It's rather nice. But for a man that's used to flitting around the world, it's a little constrained. But at least he's free to go about his business. And what he is making his business is clearing his name, first off. But he's also keeping his hand in. He's teaching um, business management at a local university. And he's also just enjoying spending time with the family because he really did fear at one point that he would never be able to see them properly ever again. And what about those who helped him escape? Are some of them still in Japan or were they all, do we think, kind of international soldiers of fortune who have gone their various ways now with their reputations in that industry enhanced? I want to get you guys this breaking news. We are being told that about a half an hour from now, two suspects will appear before a judge on charges. They were the ones who helped mastermind and pull off the escape of former Nissan boss, Carlos Ghosn from house arrest in Japan. There are a couple of people, Michael and Peter Taylor. Michael's the former Green Beret and his son Peter, who were the main accomplices, the guys that put the plan together and actually went over to Tokyo and put it into practice and got away with it. They are currently held in America because Japan has requested their extradition. Now, for some reason, I can't understand, they did some legal due diligence on the escape plot that they um, hatched and thought that it was legally watertight, that the Japanese couldn't move against them uh, if they returned as they did to the United States. Unfortunately, they were wrong about that, and they find themselves in an extremely difficult position, awaiting extradition. And at the moment, it appears as though, even though they've appealed, that extradition will go ahead, and they may face trial in Tokyo and a possible four-year jail sentence for aiding and abetting a fugitive. What did he tell you about how the escape was for him we're not going to talk about the escape so i i can't i can't uh, no what i can tell you is the only thing i can tell you is i felt relief he describes the run-up to it being under house arrest and getting the phone call to say we'll meet you in room 99 whatever it was at the grand hyatt from his accomplices. He'll talk about the extraordinary relief of landing in Beirut, looking at the snow-capped mountains above his hometown, thinking that he's finally free. He doesn't talk about the middle bit. The tailors are in a spot of bother, to put it mildly at the moment. Can you help? (laughs) No comment. No comment. 
Not because he doesn't want to, but because anything he says will make life more difficult for Peter and Michael Taylor. The men who hatched and executed the escape plan. In their extradition battle with the Japanese. If he says anything that references what they did, he will be making it easier for the Japanese to extradite the pair to Tokyo and make it easier to convict them. So he's keeping his counsel on that. Once the Taylor's legal situation is sorted out, uh, I suspect there will be a very good book. Now, you said earlier, and I think it's absolutely true, that you always kind of root for the person trying to escape, especially in something as audacious as this. And it's also fairly clear that he's quite a magnetic personality and that you get on. So you may not welcome this next question. Do you think he's guilty? (laughs) All I can say is I spoke to a bunch of people in Beirut and in Tokyo and elsewhere a lot of people in the car industry, these are people who worked with him. They say that he is far too smart to have broken the law. It's just not conceivable. But what might have happened, and in many cases they say probably did happen, is that he kind of crossed the moral line as far as Tokyo was concerned. He didn't cross the legal line, but he crossed the moral line. They felt he should not be spending company money as freely as he was. Now, he thought it was perfectly reasonable because he worked all the time. Up to November 2018, when I was arrested, I usually spent 90% of my time working and 10% with my family and eventually friends. Okay, that's it. I I practically did not have any time for social life. That it was perfectly reasonable to charge his whole lifestyle, the jet, he had five houses through Nissan. Other people in Tokyo took a different view. So I think, insofar as we will ever know the answer to this question, I think it probably lies somewhere there, rather than in some kind of egregious, illegal activity. Do you think any message should go out to the uber business community, the really successful business people, the big cheeses from this affair? Up until now, let's be honest, I mean, it was China was the place where people were nervous, rightly so. Now, I think people will certainly make sure that they are perhaps, shall we put it this way, more culturally cautious in Tokyo, I mean, the two big stories involving Japanese business in the last 10 years have been the story of Olympus with Michael Woodford and Nissan with Carlos Ghosn. And they both involve non-Japanese brought in to run very, very big Japanese companies falling foul of the law. And I think a lot of people will be very careful in future to make sure that culturally and legally, everything they do is absolutely bulletproof. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, senior business writer for the Sunday Times, John Arledge. You can read more of John's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producer was Edward Drummond, the executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Carla Patella. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast, and now we're available on the Times Radio app along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio on your app store. 
If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, you can send us an email by writing to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Shamima Begum was stripped of her British citizenship last year. The government said she was a national security risk and also had Bangladeshi heritage. The Bangladesh said, not our problem. It was a Times front page that gripped the nation. On this morning's breaking news that the High Court has ruled that Shamima Begum should be allowed to return to the UK to challenge the decision to revoke her British citizenship. A story that sparked debate in Parliament, in the courts and in every pub and living room across the country. All next week, Stories of Our Times will be stepping back and taking a considered look at the case of Shamima Begum. Should we bring British nationals who joined the Islamic State back home? It looks pretty bad at the moment. Those camps look like Europe's Guantanamo, right? I mean, it's fair to say that a British child living in Al Hol or Al Roj has less legal rights than a detainee in Guantanamo. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough, Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.